0: So, I guess the best part about this whole isolation thing for me is that I've actually had some time to do some reading for relaxation. And I'm a big fan of narrative nonfiction those stories that are grounded in actual historical events but are fleshed out by the author to make them more real or relatable. Eric Larson is one of my favorite authors. Dead Wake, Thunderstruck, Devil in the White City, and The Garden of Beasts, and currently The Splendid and the Vile are ones I would highly recommend. I'm fascinated at the way writers can take basic facts and just create a story around them without compromising the truth of the account. I've been thinking about Lazarus in this way a little bit this week. I have a lot of questions for him. Of course, the problem with asking Lazarus questions is that he never speaks a word. Not one word. We see him only in a couple of chapters in John. He plays, arguably, a most important part in Jesus' life. It is the raising of Lazarus that finally causes the authorities to move to kill Jesus, and Lazarus too. But Lazarus never says anything. Over in Luke, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and Lazarus, but no words come from him there either. It's hard to figure someone out if they never speak at all. We know plenty of details about Lazarus' death. He falls gravely ill. After a passage of some time, he dies. He is laid in a cave for a tomb with a stone rolled in to seal it. We know plenty of details about Jesus' delay. Jesus knows Lazarus is sick and dying. Jesus deliberately waits two whole days before returning to Bethany. The disciples don't understand why Jesus wants to return to the place where they had just escaped stoning. By the time Jesus gets to Bethany, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Maybe in his life, Lazarus was just an introvert, naturally reticent, living in the shadows of his two sisters. We know quite a bit about Mary and Martha. They both know Jesus can help their beloved brother. Martha voices an understanding of the resurrection. Mary goes directly to Jesus as soon as she hears he is nearby. They both say exactly the same thing when Jesus arrives too late. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And they both cry over the loss of their brother. We see Jesus at both a very human moment when he weeps, shows real outward emotion, not only at the suffering of the sisters, but also for his own deep love for this family. And at a very divine moment, when he calls Lazarus forth from the tomb with great power. And Jesus has made sure that no outside forces could account for Lazarus' appearance. He has waited beyond three days because many believe that the soul hung around the body for three days after death. But we get nothing at all from Lazarus. Jesus calls him by name and he comes forth from the tomb alive. How did he feel? What did he think? Did he stay at home in Bethany after Jesus left again to return to Jerusalem? Did he shy away from family and friends? Did he resume his normal life? Did he feel differently toward Jesus? Did he get a glimpse of the glory of God? Whatever happened, he's not saying it. According to Robert Capon, Lazarus' only purpose seems to be the object for the demonstration of Jesus' power as the Son of God. We struggle to understand it. I won't even try to explain it. But we can create something of a story around what happened to Lazarus beyond the fact I shared a painting by Benjamin West, an 18th century North American painter entitled The Raising of Lazarus. And I hope you'll have a chance to take a look at it. West was famous for depicting scenes from great moments in history. In the painting, we see Lazarus, who has just emerged from the tomb. Mary, as always, is at Jesus' feet And Martha reaches toward her beloved brother. The Jewish authorities stand behind Jesus whispering among themselves. The man in the foreground is awestruck. The rest of the people look on in amazement. But the look on Lazarus' face is, to me, what makes this story complete. It is a look of awe and love and incredulity all at once. And all the light in the scene is focused around the two figures of Jesus and Lazarus. And the connection between them is palpable. You can almost hear Lazarus' You can see just the faintest hint of a smile on Jesus's face. As his arms reach out to encompass the entire scene, it's as if Jesus is saying directly to Lazarus, yes, my dear friend, keep your focus on me. I've got We find ourselves these days trapped, overcome, all but entombed by the swift and varied changes of the world. We're stuck in this fearful, dangerous time for we don't know how long. And no one alive has experienced this. How will we come out on the other side? Will we be changed? What will we think? Will we resume our old life? Will we feel differently? We can't say just yet because we are living through these grimly historical events, experiencing the facts in real time. And the story of how we come through this time is not yet told. In fact, we know it is only just beginning. But no matter what happens, we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus still reaches out to us, encompassing us with his powerful love, saying, Yes, my dear friends, keep your focus on me. I've got this. Amen.